for three. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and Stuart and, and uh, Greg have Bibles in hand, and they'll bring one right to your seat. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 14 this morning. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 7, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and he says this to them, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained, I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also had laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God and Christ Jesus. The title of my study this morning is Pressing Towards the Goal. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together to be in your word. And we pray, Father, that as we look to your word, that you'd give us not only information, but application in our lives that would draw us closer in our relationship with you, Lord God, that we would have ears to hear what you have to say to your church this morning. We pray also if there's anyone that has joined us that is yet to uh, commit their life to you. Uh, they, they don't know you as their Lord and as their Savior. They're not born again. Would you especially touch their heart today, Lord, as we just com- commit this time to you, Lord. We pray your blessing upon it. For it's in your Son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Now, the Apostle Paul, he's used many illustrations from the world to communicate the Christian life. I think Paul liked, it seemed to like four in particular. He liked the military. You know, he, he said, put on the whole armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. He told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 verse 3 to endure hardship as a good soldier in Jesus Christ. But Paul also liked architecture. We know that he said in 1 Corinthians uh, actually, in Second Timothy two, no, in First Corinthians six nineteen, he says, or "Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own?" Paul also liked agriculture. He spoke of this when he said, "Whatever a man sows, that shall he reap." He said, "The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops." But what seemed to me to what Paul liked to most to use as an illustration of the Christian life was that of, of, of athletics. No doubt he was a sports fan. Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.5, if anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So it seems to me that athletics was his favorite uh, you know, illustration, especially running races. Listen to 1 Corinthians 9.24. Paul writes, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, run but one receives the prize, Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Galatians 5, 7. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 2 Timothy 4, 7. Then in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, 
Paul said to the elders there as he's departing, he said, I want to finish my race with joy. So putting this all together, it gives us kind of an overview of this race that we all must run. Now, speaking of races, I remember back when I was in junior high school, they call it middle school now, but uh, I was in ninth grade and I decided I was going to go out for track, mainly because if you're an athlete, then the girls would like you. And so I thought that would be, I'd do that. And But that really was my biggest mistake because, you know, I, I, I wasn't a runner. Uh, the coach never really raced me, you know, because he knew that I just wasn't fast enough. But one day he says to me, Humphrey, you're going to run today and you're going to run the 880. Now, the 880 is twice around the track, you know, and, and I found out that, that later on that he had to run me. Otherwise, that they, we'd be disqualified because we didn't have enough runners and we wouldn't have enough points. And so it's one that we needed one for the race. So anyway, I line up and I'm ready to go and, and I, the gun go off, man. And I was in the lead for the first quarter of the lap. <laughs> I was, man, I was, I was right there and I never got the lead again. Well, actually I did, you know, until all of a sudden the runners were coming from behind me once again. And I was in the lead again. Yeah, I'm in the lead. I'm in the lead. Actually, they were lapping me. But, but hey, all I wanted to do was just cut across that track and, and, and get the race over with. I wanted a shortcut. I wanted out of it as fast as I could be. But I knew I was a part of the team. Uh, I would lose points if I did that. And I certainly didn't want to disqualify the team. So, so I endured. Only to have the runners of the next race, lining up on the, in the starting blocks as I'm coming around my final lap, thinking, okay, you guys could have at least waited until I was done with the race. In any case, I hadn't learned the, the proper principles of pacing myself. I haven't learned, you know, how to prepare myself for the race. Actually, I just wasn't a runner. But you see, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, from that moment on, that is our starting gun, if you would, of the race that we all are in. As believers, we're all runners in this race of life. And here in chapter 3, Paul is using that race as an illustration. Now, it could be a foot race that he's talking about. Uh, it could be even something, it could be describing a chariot race. I know in August, the new Ben-Hur movie is set to come out. You know, and you remember that radical chariot race that they have in that, that movie. Paul, you know, possibly would like to check those out when he had time. And so, you know, the chariots back then, they were only made up of this small platform with a wheel on each side, and, and the driver had very little to hold on to as he raced around the course. He had to lean forward and lean sideways and, and use every muscle in his body to maintain his balance, to control his horses. So when Paul is talking about reaching forward in verse 13 here, you know, it literally means stretching as in a race. He's, he's pressing himself forward as to win the prize, reaching forward towards a goal, keeping himself in balance all along the way. Now, it's important for us to point out that Paul is not telling us how to be saved. He's not saying, well, you, you have to run this race, and if you run this race, you know, just right, you do this right thing, then you're going to be saved. And, you know, you, you drive this chariot, you're going to get to heaven. You can't get to heaven on a chariot, folks. It doesn't happen. I mean, if that were the case, then he would be contradicting the first 11 verses here in chapter 3. If Paul is saying that this way to get to, to saved is, is, is through these works, then he'd be saying that salvation comes through works and self-effort, but that's not the case. See, Paul is using this illustration as an athlete in order to participate, as, in, rather that in order to participate as an athlete in the Greek you know, games, you'd already had to be a citizen in order to compete. And so uh, you don't, you know, run the race to gain your citizenship. 
In the same way, Paul will remind us in verse 20 that our citizenship is already in heaven. We're already children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So we're not running the race for our salvation, but now our responsibility is to run the race to achieve the goals that God has set out for each one of us. That's why the writer of Hebrews puts it this way, who I personally believe was the Apostle Paul. He wrote this in Hebrews 12:1. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. See, each one of us here have been given a special place on the track, if you will, for, for his or her own service to the Lord. And each one has a goal established by Christ. Now, if we reach that goal the way God has planned, then we're going to receive our reward. But if we fail, we lose the reward, but we don't lose our citizenship. We don't lose our salvation. We're still saved. But to see the task that we have in our lives is to lay hold of of that for which Christ laid hold of us, verse 13 says. Allowing God to work in us and through us. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before and that we should walk in them. So how do we walk in them? How do we reach the goal that God has set for us? Well, this morning I want to look at four principles, if you're taking notes, in running this race that we call life that will help us to run, to reach the goal that God had set out for each one of us. Number one, you need to lose the weight. You need to lose the weight. I mean, for any good athlete that's a runner, you know, it, you can't be 500 pounds. You're not going to do so well. You need to lose the weight. Well, in the same sense, you need to get rid of any excess weight that would hinder your forward process. Now, this principle is found in verses 7 and 8. Look at verse 7. Paul says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for, the, for Christ, yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Listen, when you become a Christian, born-again Christian, you change. Now, for some of us, that's really an understatement, isn't it? I mean, some of us, we've had some very notable changes, you know, that have happened, and, and you've given up a great many things that you used to do. Now, a lot of that depends on the kind of lifestyle you live prior to your conversion, but in many of our lives, it speaks of a dramatic change that has taken place. Now, I've heard people share their testimony, and, and they'll talk about the great sacrifices they made to follow the Lord, and they'll say stuff like, oh, man, I used to party, man, I was a party, I had money, I had all these friends, I had all this stuff, man, I, all this fun, but I gave it up for Jesus Christ, hallelujah. Forsook it all for the glory of God. What are you talking about you gave up? What did you really give up? Friends that brought you down, you know? Parties where you end up bowing before the porcelain throne, puking your guts out? I mean, if you look at those things honestly and truthfully, you'll come to the same conclusion Paul came to. He said, those things I count as gain, I now count as loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. The stuff that used to be so important to me the stuff that I used to value so highly is nothing more than trash to me now. The thing about Paul is that the stuff that he considered rubbish is the stuff that, that uh, at that time would have given Paul the respect as one of the leading religious people of his time. Last week we looked at this, verses 5 and 6 of Philippians chapter 3. 
Paul, Paul's uh, accommodations, if you will, his achievements, his, his diploma. Verse 5 said this, He was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. These are they're all Paul's accomplishments. And what's his attitude about them all? Paul says, hey, all this stuff, all these things, the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of Hebrews, you know, you know what? I didn't know Jesus. And all those things, I missed Him. I had all this stuff, but I missed God. See, but now Paul had come into contact with the divine person, the once crucified, but now glorified Christ. Jesus Christ forever had won Paul's heart. And for His sake, Paul says, I count everything else as a loss. Why? Because it's not about religion, folks. It's about a relationship with the Creator of the universe, with God Himself. Paul says, the stuff that used to be so important to me, the stuff that used to value so highly, it's nothing to me now. It's all lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. See, Paul had that works-based mentality before he came to Christ, thinking that by his good works, he could be made right with God. And he says, I don't think that way any longer. Now, what I do, I do out of my love for Jesus Christ. You know, before we come to Christ, we have a lot of, wrong ideas about God. And even after we come to Christ, you know, some of those old ideas can still stick around. Now, maybe we rename it, you know, Christian yoga. Okay, there's no such thing as Christian yoga. Okay, it's Hinduism. Uh, I, I think for me, you know, one of the things I experienced being raised Roman Catholic was being taught that in order to be truly forgiven of my sin, I had to go and talk to a priest, confess to him my sins, and then, you know, he would give me this the exhaustion of my sin, and then tell me what penance I had to do. Told how many times I needed to pray the Lord's Prayer, and how many times I needed to to say pray this prayer to Mary, and then make this act of contrition, and then I could be, you know, forgiven my sin. Now we know the Bible says in 1 Timothy 2.5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, not a priest. But there's a danger and that mentality of your old life and your old thoughts and the old thing that you're with, of that mentality sticking with you. And as a believer coming out of that mentality, when we blow it, you know, now we confess our sins to God. We know that He's the one that forgives. You know, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We've learned that. But then somehow we think, you know, when bad things happen afterwards, well, it's a penalty for my sin I, I just it's my penance so i just deserve this and god is just paying me back you know it's kind of like karma you know oh just, i just deserve this no now i'm not saying we don't reap what we sow but what i am saying is god is not in heaven just sitting around waiting to get even with us because we've sinned you know i mean think about it. if god really wanted to he could be the ultimate payback or he could be the ultimate get evener Wake up in the morning and your bed is 50 feet up, sitting on the top of a tree in the redwood someplace. You know, how did I get here? God goes, <laughs> you know, it's what you did. I'm getting even with you. You know, you think that you were forgiven, but you haven't done enough. You've got to pay the penalty of this. No, our Father isn't like that. That's Psalm 103, verse 10 through 12, we're, t- we're told, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities, For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgression from us. Hebrews 10, 17, our sins and iniquities, will I remember no more, God says. 
We're told in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, Ephesians 1, 7. See, God's forgiveness is not based upon your good works, and God doesn't do paybacks, praise God. But it's those ideas that can weigh you down in your race and your walk with the Lord, can slow you down in reaching your goal. Listen, we are running a race. And if you want to, to reach that goal of crossing the finish line, we need to, to run light. We need to get rid of this stuff. You know, it's like the, the, the turkey trot. You know, every Thanksgiving we have the turkey trot downtown, a 5K run. Imagine that this coming year you decide that in honor of the turkey trot, you know, you're going you're gonna to dress up as a turkey. And you've got this huge turkey costume on, you know, and like Big Bird, you know, and you show up wearing that costume. Okay, I'm ready for the run, you know, complete with the turkey feet. And you start, the pistol fires off, and, and you start to, to run a thump, 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 thump. I got this, I got this, you know, besides looking like a real turkey. I mean, you'd be such a turkey because you really wouldn't have any chance at all of winning the race, let alone completing it. Why? Because you've got to get rid of that stuff, that costume, those things that are not really you. Man, you need to put on the running shoes, you know, the running shorts, be ready to go. In other words, you want to be equipped for the task at hand. And the idea here is that as we live this Christian life, we want to cut loose any excess weight that is in our lives. But you see, a lot of us go into the Christian life that same way. We're in, in the sense, we're, 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 we're walking through life wearing all this stuff and it's just slowing us down, dragging along things that we really don't need. Not just past religious experiences, as I pointed out, but maybe just things that we're doing in our lives that just aren't that important. Things we're spending way too much time on and energy on. Maybe it's certain TV shows you're watching or movies you're watching. Maybe it's always checking Facebook, always Instagram, always Twitter. Man, if you spend half as much time in God's Word, see what, what the difference that would make. Maybe it could even be a relationship with certain people that you're involved with that's dragging you down. I think it's a really good idea to periodically evaluate what I am doing and with who I am doing this with and ask myself the question, is this going to help me reach my goal that is set before me or is this going to slow me down? This passion, this pursuit, this thing that I'm, I'm so interested in, is it speeding me on my way as a Christian or is it slowing me down? Is it drawing me closer to Christ or further away? And maybe it is a relationship with the person. And the more time you spend with that person, you'll find that your interest in spiritual things are beginning to diminish. In fact, what you're finding is your, your desire for the things of the world is beginning to grow. If that is the case, then I can say to you that that's something you need to change in your life. Because let me say this, you're, you're not just running to what is right, you're also running away from what is wrong. Let me repeat that. Running the race is not just running to what is right, but it's also running from what is wrong. Listen to Second Timothy 2.22. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. That says it so well. Run away from anything that stimulates youthful lust and run to anything that makes you want to do what is right? So is this thing that I'm doing slowing me down or speeding me along? Is it building me up spiritually or is it tearing me down? Am I being a turkey or am I being a runner? Because it's that weight that so easily ensnares us. If it is, then we need to lay it aside. It's interesting that that, that verse, Hebrews 12:1, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and run the race, endures the race that is set before us. It's interesting that there's a distinction between a weight and a sin. 
mean, sin is sin. If you know what sin is, I mean, it, it, it's the Ten Commandments. Just read your Bible. You'll know this stuff is wrong. That's the safe place for every man and woman to start. But then there are weights in our lives. There are things that, that, that might be something that would potentially slow you down, but maybe it wouldn't slow me down. Or maybe something that would slow me down, but not slow you down, because we're different. And so we have to look at the things in our own lives and ask us the question, is this the weight that's in my life? Is it something that maybe other Christians have the liberty to do, but, but for you, God says, don't do it, it's a weight. It's not a sin, just don't do it, because it's going to slow you down. Maybe it's secular music. Maybe at one time you were so into secular music, you knew every song Metallica, ACDC, Guns N' Roses put out, or Devo, you know, are we not men, we are Devo, D-I-V-O, remember that song? I choose to forget that song, weird song, but, you know, but, but maybe God has shown you listening to that is a weight, and it's going to slow you down. It's going to bring you back to that place where you want to be a punk rocker again. Oh, that's what I'm going to go, no. But maybe, maybe on someone else it may have no effect whatsoever. Again, there are things that, that Christians have the liberty to do, but for you, God says, that's a weight, don't do it. It's not sin, but it's going to slow you down. So I'm not saying that listening to secular music is wrong, but we need to ask, is this running shoes or is this a turkey costume? You know, instead of saying, well, if they're doing it, then it must be okay for me to do it. No, you're not them. Remember what your mom said. You know, if everyone else jumps off a cliff, are you going to jump off of a cliff? No. Is it slowing you down spiritually? Then you need to lay it aside. Number two, run right. So this, you must run with the right motive. You know, if you've never been in any sort of, of, of athletic competition, your goal is not to lose. <laughs> your, your motivation is to win. You know, I know there's a saying, well, it doesn't matter if you win or lose, it's how you play the game. Yeah, that's for the losers to say. <laughs> now, when you go into that competition, you want to win. You want first place. You know, it's like those participation awards that kids are getting today. I think that everyone's a winner. Everyone does a good job. Thanks for participating. I think they're horrible. Ridiculous. You don't go to a race and go, man, I hope I get a participation award. I mean, I hope I get that participation trophy. No, you want to win. You want first place. You'll take second. You'll take third. But the goal is to win. I read that an Olympic athlete, what he has to go through in order to compete in the Olympics they have to work out an average of four hours a day, 310 days a year for six years solid to compete for the gold. Now, they don't do that and go, I hope I get a participation award from the Olympic Committee. They want to win. They want the gold, silver, they take the bronze. Let me say this. You know, winning athletes absolutely enjoy the game. Now, they may not enjoy all the difficulties and the preparation that goes into that, the discipline that goes into that, the training and the workout. And they certainly don't enjoy losing. Man, but the thrill of the game is in, in their blood and nothing's going to keep them away. In fact, Paul emphasizes the same attitude in Acts twenty twenty four when he says, But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. You know the word amateur comes from the Latin word amateur and it means a lover. I think the amateur athlete participates in a sport because he loves the sport. But many professional athletes, they feel the same way. Now they may receive the big salaries, all the fame, but it's the love of the game that keeps them going. So our motive 
also is to win. And as we run this race, we are excited because we love what we're doing. We love that we're serving the Lord. We love it's exciting. Listen, uh, folks, the Christian should be Christian life should be a blast. We should have lots of fun. Now, I take my relationship with the Lord very seriously, uh, but but it also brings me enjoyment. Now, on top of all that, you know, God's going to reward us one day. I know that there's a prize waiting for me in heaven one day, not because of, of what I've done, but based on how faithful I was to what God has called me to do. That's what my reward will be for. And the same is true for you. It'll be for how faithful you were and doing the things that God has called you to do. So it's a it's a win win situation, so to speak. Now, what will you do with that reward? What do you do with that gold medal, that that crown? Well, the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, chapter four, verse eleven, that we'll be laying down our crowns before the throne, saying, "You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power." See, that's what I want to do with my reward. Man, when I get that, I want to say, here it is, Lord, you did it. It's all you. You did this by working in me. That's our goal. Man, I want to have something to give back to the Lord for all he's done for me. I don't want to show up empty-handed. And that's the same principle that's found in verse 10 here in Philippians 3. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Paul says, I'm doing this because I'm doing this for the Lord. My purpose in running this race is to know Jesus Christ. That's all that matters to me. I like the way the Amplified Bible puts verse 10. Let me read it to you. You can see it on the screen. For my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly, and that I may in that same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection, which it exerts over believers, and that I may so share his sufferings as to be continually transformed in spirit into likeness even to his death. Man, that's his purpose, his goal. Paul says, I want to know him. That's what this is all about for me. See, that's what it means to run this race with the right motive. We want to know him. We want to give him all the glory. I'm sure Paul is thinking back to that time on that road to Damascus where, he, where the Lord got a hold of him. And from that day forward, Paul wanted to know this Jesus, the Jesus who would love him enough to single him out and forgive him of all his sins, all that he's done wrong. Paul, alias Saul, he wasn't a good man before. He, he hunted down Christians. He caused them to be executed. He was an enemy of God. And apart from Jesus intervening in his life, he could have died in his sins and faced a certain judgment. But God lovingly and graciously reached out to this wicked Saul and graciously transformed him into the powerful apostle Paul. And God did the same thing for you, did the same thing for me. And he singled you out. He called you out by name. He says, you, I want you as my child. I'm calling you to follow me now. So Paul is saying, I want to spend the rest of my life getting to know him even more. In fact, that word that Paul uses here for to know in verse 10 is the Greek word gnosko. which means to know by experience. It's more than just a head knowledge. You know, it's more than just being acquainted with someone. See, someone may say, well, I know Franklin Graham because they've seen him on TV or because I got a really good picture of him when he was up at the state capitol two weeks ago. Actually, I got a picture of him. I want to show you the picture of him that I got of him. See right there? He's right underneath the umbrellas there. The little about, not so big right there. 
I thought, oh, this is cool. I got, I, we were right behind him when he did all this. Oh, this is so cool. I thought, man, this is awesome. Then we're having lunch later on that afternoon, and I get this text from Jeff and Barbie, this picture. <laughs> that ain't right. It just ain't right. They met up with him at McDonald's, you know, after the whole thing was over. Now, the thing of it is, neither one of us know him personally. You don't know him unless you actually can spend some time with him doing things together, not just going to McDonald's. Okay. But here's my point. Here's my point. <laughs> there are many who consider themselves Christians, and they have this knowledge of Christ. It's all in their head, but it's not in their heart. And they even go to church. Oh, yeah, I know Christ. But then they live, you know, like the devil the rest of the week. Oh, I know Christ. I know Christ. Why? Because it's not in their heart. God hasn't transformed their lives. It's all up here, but not in here. See, that's the knowledge that Paul is talking about that goes so much deeper. And that's what Jesus desires for each one of us as well. In fact, in his, his high priestly prayer in John seventeen three, he said this, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now think about this. If anyone knew God, it was the Apostle Paul. But now he candidly admits, in spite of all that, he has not reached some spiritual plateau. He is saying, I, I have so far to go. Look at verse 12. He says, not that I have already attained, I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Think about this. Here's one of the greatest Christians of all time saying, I haven't attained. I haven't reached it yet. I've, I've not arrived on some spiritual plane that, you know, that's not available to other believers. He says, I've got so far to go. Now think about Paul. He had led countless people to faith in Christ, established churches, wrote epistles. Yet he himself is saying that he has so much to learn, so far to go. I think it's hard for us to imagine Paul having struggles like, like we have. But Paul is saying here that he could not live off of his past experiences. He needed to keep moving forward as well. I think if we listen to ourselves and if we find that in our conversation that we're always talking about what God did at some point in our past, then we too are in danger of not moving forward. You can't rest on your past accomplishments. Man, if anybody could, it would have been the Apostle Paul. I mean, imagine him. Imagine him sitting around with other believers, you know, and one of them says, oh, you know, the Lord really inspired me to say something to someone today, and it was pretty cool. Another one may say, well, yeah, God led me to share my faith. And how about you, Paul? Anything happen to you today? Paul could say, well, yeah, God has uh, gave me some inspired letters to write called epistles that's going to make up of half the Bible that's going to last forever. I mean, how could you top that? One might say, well, I, I heard God speak to my heart once. Another one may say, well, I was really blessed at church. I really sensed the presence of the Lord. How about you, Paul? Well, I actually died and was in the presence of God in heaven. And, but then I was sent back to the earth again to write some more scripture. And that will be inspired by God and will be read by people forever. Did I mention that God used me to raise people from the dead as well? I mean, if anybody had, you know, uh, could boast, it would be the Apostle Paul. But he doesn't. I've not attained. I've not reached it. I have so far to go. See, no matter how long you have been a Christian, Paul is saying you've got to keep moving forward. Which brings us to our third principle, stay focused. Stay focused. In other words, in reaching your goal, you have to have a clear objective and you have to have a clear focus. In the athletic world, man, the name of the game is concentration. 
I mean, if an athlete can't concentrate, if he can't learn to focus, he's not going to be able to compete. And here you talk about, about players, you know, athletes being in the zone. Man, that, that is, they're, they're concentrating so intently that it just blocks out the rest of the world. They don't hear the crowd noises. They don't even feel the pain of injuries many times. They're just so focused. I think of a Kevin Costner movie where he's getting ready to pitch. He's a pitcher for Detroit, and he's in playing in New York. And like a typical New York crowd, you know, they're shouting at him and calling him all sorts of names. And, and you hear a train in the background, and you hear, you know, the buses, and you hear the horns of the cars, and the people shouting. And, and, and all of a sudden, he says to himself, clear the mechanism. And suddenly, everything is silent. And everything is blurry around him except one thing, the batter. And he's so focused that everything in the world is just blocked out and he pitches to the guy and strikes him out. It's that kind of focus. That's what Paul is saying here. We need to be so focused on Christ, mechanism on, that everything in this world and what the world has to offer is just a blur. It's not even a desire. Paul says in verse 13, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. There's one thing I do, he says. For far too many Christians, they're living divided lives, unfocused lives. You know, they in one part enjoys things of this world, in the other part, they're living for the Lord, and they're not happy in either place. They get ambitious for the things, and they start mildly after earthly, earthly ambitions. Well, I want to serve the Lord. I, I really need to get more involved, but, but I have this boat, you know, I bought. I mean, it is Memorial Day weekend, and it, you know, it's time for the barbecue and the boat and all that. And, and while, because I have this boat, I, I have this job, and, and I got to work overtime because I got to pay for the boat and, 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 you know, this, and all this. And so I know I, I could be more involved, but I know I could serve you, Lord, but, but I got this going on, and, and, and you know, I'll, I'll come to church on a regular basis once, once this bill is paid off. Well, then it's just another bill and another bill and another week and another month and another year. And, 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 and it's a divided heart. It's a divided heart. Paul says, this one thing I do. David had the same focus because in the Psalms he wrote this in Psalm 27, 4. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. One thing. I mean, here's a man that, that was going through life saying this one thing excites me and that's spending time in the presence of God. I think of Mary and Martha. Mary knew this principle very well. When Jesus came to visit her and, and, and they lived in this little village of, of Bethany and she sat down at Jesus' feet because she just saw this tremendous opportunity to hear what Jesus would have to say to her. Now Martha, her sister on the other hand, she, you know, was a hard-working woman, wanted to impress the Lord with fine meal, understandable thing. I mean, if you had a guest like Jesus, you'd want to fix the best meal ever. I mean, could you imagine Jesus coming to your home? The creator of the universe is in human form at your front door. You say, oh Lord, I'll be right back. You turn on the TV, catch a Bobby Flay, you know, recipe or, or the Barefoot Contessa. Okay, what does she have to say? Because you want to make something incredible for him to eat, you know. Worst thing you want to do is give him a TV dinner or something like that or leftovers. So Martha's there cooking away and she's, she's slaving in the kitchen, making something nice, thinking to herself, where is my sister? She should be in here helping me. And what's her story? And she's looking for Mary and not seeing her. Finally, in frustration, she goes into the other room, probably got the apron on, all sorts of food all over her, you know, food in her hair. And she puts her hands on her hips, you know. And, Lord, will you tell my sister to get over here and help me? And I love Jesus' reply to her in Luke chapter 10. He said, Martha, you're really so upset over all these details 
there's really only one thing to be concerned about. And Mary has discovered it, and I'm not going to take that away from her. Appreciate your hard work, Mary, uh, Martha, but Mary has figured out this one thing, and it's to sit at my feet. And this is what Paul is saying. This one thing I do. Paul had focus in life. He knew where he was going, and he knew the goal he was racing to reach. Looking unto Jesus. And, and, and that is what's going to keep us moving towards our goal. Because people are going to discourage us. People are going to let you down. People are going to try and pull you away into the things of the world. Circumstances are going to discourage you. But you keep your eyes set on the Lord and you keep moving forward. And you want to get your life moving in the right direction and focus on the Lord and move that way. This is what he's saying. This brings us to our final principle, number four. Don't look back. Don't look back, but press on. Look at verse 13. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. I mean, imagine if you were in a chariot race, you know, and you're the driver. You decide you're going to look behind you and see who's behind. I mean, you could, it could be serious business. You can collide and, and serious injury. You know, even in a running race, you know, races are lost because they're looking behind them. I like what I recently heard Pastor Tony Evans describe our past. He says, our past is like a rearview mirror in your car. Every now and then you glance at it, but you keep focus on what's in front of you. I like that. Look at the rear for a second, but you're keeping forward where you're going. And forgetting those things, it doesn't mean to fail to remember. It means you're no longer going to be influenced or affected by it. It's remembering to forget those things. What kind of things need to be forgotten? Well, first of all, we need to forget our failures. You know, if we look at our past failures as opportunities to learn and to grow, then that's okay to glance in that mirror. That's all right every now and then. But if we allow them to fill us with despair and defeat, we need to forget about them. Leave them in the past. In other words, we must allow our failures to teach us but not to terrorize us. Let me say this as well. We must remember to forget our successes at times. Now, we can remember them if they make us grateful, but forget them if they make us proud and arrogant. See, when it comes to our failures and when it comes to our sins, it's as we looked at already in Hebrews 17 when God promises, our sins and iniquities I will remember no more. It's not suggesting that God has a lapse of memory, but God is saying, I am no longer going to hold that sin against you because it's been paid for by my son at the cross. Therefore, I need to do what God does. I need to forget. I need to forget my past. When He forgave us of, of our sins, He forgave us of all of our sins that we did, all of our past, present, and even future ones. Now that certainly doesn't mean we have freedom to keep on sinning. We should sin less because we're going to sin. But we need to learn from our mistakes. Maybe remember some of the bitter lessons that you've learned. But keep moving forward. And listen, if you've sinned against someone in the past, to the best of your ability, you need to make restitution. You need to be able to go to them, ask them for forgiveness. If you can't, if it's just not possible, then you can say, you've done all that you possibly could do. And then let it go. Don't be controlled by your past. Again, that's what Paul is saying, I'm forgetting. And think about this. Paul had done some pretty horrible things he'd like to forget. I mean, he was responsible for the death of, of, of Stephen. He carried that in his conscience until the day that he died. He knew that he was responsible, but he was able to put his past in the past. Now, maybe for you it wasn't something you did. It may have been something that someone else did or said. 
someone you admired, someone you respected, and they blew it big time, and now you've been distracted from the goal that was set before you. And you think, well, if they could blow it that badly as a Christian, what hope do I have? Listen, there's too many Christians that are, are being shackled by regrets of the past. And they're trying to run this race looking backwards. Oh man, uh, that didn't work out. I really blew it there. Oh, God can never use me. It's no wonder they stumble and they fall and they get in the way of other Christians. Paul says, listen, the things that are behind should be set aside and the focus needs to be the things on which you had. So, our four principles. Lose weight. Get rid of any extra weight that would hinder you. Run right. That is, run with the right motive. Stay focused. Have a clear objective and focus. And finally, don't look back. Press on. Even when life gets hard. Let's close with verse 14. Paul says, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God and Christ Jesus. Again, there's that word again. That word press towards the goal. It's, it's that athlete. It means who's, who's running without swerving off course. He's straining with every nerve, every muscle as he keeps running with all his might towards the goal. See, to Paul, the goal and the prize were one and the same. Though we don't see it in, this, in, in the text here, that this is clear reference to the many promises that we are given to those who are victorious, including words of, of commendation we are going to receive from Jesus Christ. Luke 19, 17. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. 2 Timothy 4, 8. There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will give to me on that day, and not only me, but also to all those who love His appearing. See, the goal, the prize, could also be what Peter refers to in 1 Peter 5, 4, when he says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory, what does not fade away. Whatever it is, the prize, the goal, according to 1 Corinthians 2, 9, it's something that eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. God has got something prepared for us. It's going to be amazing. See, the Greek games, the winner of the race, they'd be summoned up to the stadium floor to the seat of the judge and this wreath of, of, of leaves was placed upon his head. And Athens, the winner, was also awarded 500 coins, free meals, and a front row seat at the theater. These were coveted goals and prizes, but they were temporary. Listen, our prize, our goal, it's eternal. That 1 Corinthians 9.25, Paul says, All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. Now, the, the, you may feel that the, the cost is more than you care to pay. The energy is more than you desire to put forth. Let me remind you of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus is worth more than you could ever give. I like Vince Lombardi, the great football coach. He said these words about discipline. and They seem so appropriate for us today. He said this, and I quote, I've never known a man worth his salt who in the long run, deep down in his heart, didn't appreciate the grind, the discipline. I firmly believe that any man's finest hour, his greatest fulfillment to all he holds dear, is that moment when he has worked his heart out and lies exhausted on the field of battle, victorious. I love that. I can't wait to get to heaven and go, whew, made it. Man, victorious, awesome, Lord. I mean, here, this is great. It's all about Jesus, our focus, our determination, our goal, our purpose. It's all about Him. See, Paul started this chapter by saying, Finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Paul wanted to finish his race with joy. Now, it's great to run the race, but if you crash and burn on the last lap, you still have to cross the finish line. 
And sadly, the Bible is full of, of people who have tremendous potential yet didn't finish their race with joy. I think of Saul. Man, he started out great, yet he ended up disobeying God completely. In fact, Saul said, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. Saul was to blame. Samson started out great, man, but he gave in to sin. Even David, the man after God's own heart. David, as did Solomon, was through his whole life away with his affair with Bathsheba, but he repented. He turned from his sin. And although he had to face repercussions from that the rest of his life, he was right with the Lord. And Paul, Paul says, man, I'm not going to finish that way. I want to finish my race with joy. See, he was looking on, on the things on earth from God's point of view. And as a result of that, he was not upset about the things behind him, around him, or that matter before him. In other words, things did not rob him of his joy. See, I like this. When, when the religious rulers in Paul's time wanted to rob him of his joy, they said, Paul, we're going to kill you. Paul says, great, to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. They said, okay, well, then we're going to let you live. Paul said, okay, great, to live is Christ, to die is gain. <laughs> okay, we're going to make you suffer. Paul says, well, I recognize the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Didn't matter to Paul. Why? Because it's all about Jesus. Maybe some of you this morning have been running this race and you've been tripped up. Somebody came in and cut you off, got in your lane, said something, did something. Oh, I'm never going to, I'm not going to go back to church. I, I can't walk with the Lord anymore. Maybe you tripped over some obstacle or some sin. And there you are lying, lying in a cloud of dust and the pack has moved on. And you say, well, I just, just forget about it. I've just got to bail. No, maybe you ought to get up and try to catch up. Get back in the race again. But I fell. Then get up. But I failed. Get over it. Learn from your mistakes. And the next time you, you see the obstacle, go around it. Don't fall again. Learn something. Get back in that race again. The most important thing and running this race is to hear Jesus say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. I want to close with this story. If you've never seen the 1981 movie called Chariots of Fire, I encourage you to rent it. It's an awesome story, true story. story of two British runners competing in the 1924 Olympics. One man in particular, Eric Little, is a devout Christian, one of the finest runners in the world. In the, uh, one of the races in the movie, he's knocked down by his competition. <clears throat> it's a qualifying heat. He suddenly gets himself back up again, and he goes on to win the race. Just a, an emotional scene. Now, Eric's sister, uh, Jenny, wants him to leave competitive running to join the family on the mission field in China. Jenny feels Eric is putting it, running ahead of serving God, and she questions his commitment. And Eric attempts to help his sister see his point of view, so he announces with a smile, I've decided I'm going to go back to China the missionary service has accepted. Well, just then Jenny interrupts him. Oh, Eric, I'm so pleased. That is, that is great. But Eric continues. I've got a lot of running to do first, Jenny. You've got to understand, I believe that God made me for a purpose for China. He also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. To give it up would be to hold him in contempt. You are right. It's not just fun. To win is to honor him. Little did end up going to China as a missionary. He was eventually taken into a prisoner's camp. He died on February 21st from an inoperable brain tumor. It was said that, he, that so great was the vacuum that Eric's death had left that the entire camp, especially the youth, was stunned for days. But according to a fellow missionary, Little's last words were, it's complete surrender, in reference to how he's given his life to God. As we close, have you completely surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? 
you've been standing on the sidelines and you have, you've been watching these Christians and you're saying for the first time, you know what, I need to get in the race. I need to give my life with Jesus Christ because I have sin and I have guilt and I have a past and I have a very fear of death and it's not going away and I need this emptiness inside of me to go away. I need to be filled with Jesus Christ. See, that's what's missing in your life. Jesus Christ is everything you need. And once you put your faith and trust in Him, you'll be able to say, like Paul said, those things that I count as gain, I now count as loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. What God will give you in place of it is so much better than than you can ever imagine. You would even miss that stuff. Do you need to come to Jesus Christ this morning? I want to give you that opportunity. Let's pray together as we close. Father, we thank You for this time. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the race that we are all in as believers, God. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to cast aside anything that's slowing us down, any relationship, any habit, any uh, uh, thing that we're doing, Lord, that is keeping us not focused. Lord, help us to run this race, race focused on you, knowing that you are the author and the finisher of our faith. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here, Lord, that, that is not born again, They don't have their sin forgiven, Lord, but they realize that they need to surrender their hearts to you. They need to get in this race. They need to to be a part of, of, uh, of your kingdom, to be a child of God. They need their sin forgiven. Lord, I pray that you'd give them the faith this morning to make that commitment, to take that step, to surrender their life to you. Lord, their heads are bowed and their eyes are closed. Is there anyone here you want to give your life to Jesus Christ this morning? You want to be born again? If that's your desire, would you raise your hand so I could pray for you this morning? This is just between you and the Lord making that commitment to follow Jesus with your whole heart, whole soul, mind, and strength. To have your sin forgiven, to be born again. Anybody at all? Just raise your hand. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your kindness, Lord. Lord, how you've called us to be your child. Help us now to run this race focused on you to give you all the glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.